Hi, friends. Welcome to a special summer edition of the Let It Be podcast. If you are a regular listener, you know that I have been taking a brief intermission to enjoy some time with my family and friends and just get caught up on other areas of life. But I wanted to interrupt my little break with a very important conversation that I had with two of my friends, two men that I invited into the studio who have both had a career in military and ministry. And as we are nearing the July 4th weekend, the insight and perspective that they have to share with all of you is just profound. We talked about all things regarding God and country. Is it both and? Should these two entities be kept separate? And what is our responsibility as an American and most importantly, as a Christian? I'm telling you, the insight that they have to share is just utterly profound. And I hope you take the time to listen to the entire conversation and not only that, but to share it with people in your circle and beyond. I think you're going to really enjoy this little break in my break of the Let It Be podcast with MP Leak and Ryan Burkhart. Well, hi guys. Welcome to the Let It Be podcast. I've been taking a little break. I don't know if you know that. So this is like a special edition, summer mm-hmm. edition, um, since we're rolling into 4th of July. But for those of you listening, I have two very special guests. I have two men mm. in the house. <laughs> yes. And um, in honor of Independence Day, which is right around the corner, they're Marines. And I have learned that once a Marine, always a Marine. Semper Fi. That's Sem- true. Yeah. Semper Fi. So, and already prior to recording, for those of you listening, I already was in error of how I addressed them. So they're going to school all of us a little bit about all of the different branches and what they're called. Yes. So, um, yeah. So please educate. Well, first of all, let's say who you are. So. Okay. Hey, I'm MP and I am the Connections Pastor at All Church. Also formerly a Marine. Always a Marine. Yeah, so we say former. Mm-hmm. So once a Marine, always a Marine. You don't I'm say I'm going to totally X. screw this up. Yeah, it's, it is, that's just something people need to know. You don't say ex-Marine. You okay, say right. like, you can say former. You can just say Marine. But a lot of times there's a, a differentiation between active duty and, and someone who's a veteran. Okay, and Yeah, Ryan, we're going to clarify a lot of please, things today. It's going to be, it, it's gonna be very educational. So You are the teachers and I am the student. <laughs> My name is Ryan Burkhart, um, also a Marine as well. And I'm actually the small groups and pastoral care pastor at Seven Hills Church in Florence, Kentucky. And I'm very proud, very honored, a uh, little intimidated about being here today, but I'm really excited about it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so fun. And what I love about this is, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but you both are Marines, but you're also pastors, which mm. is such a very interesting combination. It's a unique mix. Yeah. Um, I also want to hear when and where you served the, just kind of the, the base point for that. So MP, give yeah, me your so, years. So just shortly after 9-11, uh, I went and joined the Marine Corps. So I was in um, the debt program at the end of 2001, uh, which is like the pre-enlistment, pre-going to boot camp side of things. And then I was in the Marine Corps actively from 2002 until 2006. And then I got recalled in 2009 and I was in until 2011. So I kind of had like two different periods of active service. And so recalled for those of you who haven't served mean that when you sign up, you sign up for an initial enlistment period. And then after that period, you have a service 
uh, obligation kind of a thing that if something was to happen, things were to go awry, you could actually be called back into active service. Doesn't happen very often, but in our uh, time and age, it was something that was fairly common. So MP got to be blessed with that opportunity. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> So I graduated high school in 2001. I uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, felt a call to ministry, but didn't want to be involved in ministry. I was very actively involved in high school and our youth ministry and just wanted to do something a little bit different with my life and had a, a dumb job at the, at the mall, to be honest with you. <laughs> and in one shift that I worked, I had three people come up to me and talk to me about the Marines, none of whom were recruiters. And I went home that day and told my dad, my, uh, my, my stepmom have decided to join the Marines and they said, okay, well maybe you need to go talk to the other branches before you just make a decision. So I'll kind of save you all of the details. Maybe that'll be a, a later date, but ultimately the Marine Corps was the only office that said, you don't have what it takes, go to the next office. And there was something about that mentality where all the other branches were saying, this is all the things we can do for you. These are the re-enlistment bonuses or these are the enlistment bonuses. We can give you this. We can give you that. I was in a modern history course as a high school senior, and we read the quote from JFK, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And so as I kind of laid in bed that night and stewed over the fact that they were the only ones that really challenged me, I thought, I'm going to ask what I can do rather than what they can do for me. So, of course, joined the Marines in um, 2001. I reported into boot camp August 28th. So Man. two weeks later, September 11th happens. Wow. Two weeks and about four days later, I start getting letters from my dad. You said we were in a time of peace. You said it wouldn't be like this. Uh -huh. um, but uh, over the course of that uh, five years, I joined from 2001 and I served until 2006. I had the opportunity to be deployed uh, about six months after I was in. So I was on ship for five months. I was in Northern Africa for uh, four months. And then when I came back, I'm 20 years old. And I thought, man, I don't want to sit around in North Carolina. So I volunteered for a program uh, where you could be trained to guard embassies. And I was an embassy guard um, in Vienna, Austria for 15 months wow. and Ottawa, Canada for 15 months. So if you look at that five years of my life, God really blessed me to travel to about 15 countries wow. in those five years and got a lot of opportunity to see so many different kinds of government, so many kinds of living styles, first yeah. world countries, third world countries, and feel incredibly blessed to have had that opportunity. That is amazing. I'm going to have chills um, this whole podcast. So my grandfather fought in World War II and was the most proud American that mm. I think I've ever known. And uh, it was funny because at the end of his life, he went into an assisted living home and on their charts, on his charts, in his medical charts, it commented something to the effect of that he loved his God, he mm. loved his family, he loved his country, and he loved the Cincinnati Reds and they needed wow. to make sure that he had access <laughs> to that. I love it. Uh, but what a great sentiment. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, he, I really think kind of he instilled this pride in my mom's side of the family specifically. Um, but he was one of those older guys that didn't talk about the war mm -hmm. um, until much later in life right. when he was kind of nearing the end of his life and probably thinking about endings when he talked a lot more about his experiences and kind of how vivid they still were mm -hmm. in his memory. And um, I don't know if it was after he passed away or right before, but WLW, 700 WLW, had released these recordings that they had taken 
during the war. Wow. And so my mom, look, I have chills again. Mm. My mom has this recording of my grandfather when he was 19 years old and mm. he had been interviewed because he's from Cincinnati. What an incredible yeah, opportunity. I mean, really, really cool. So anyway, I thought that since I'm just doing little snippets of podcasting this summer, because I'm trying to take a little bit of a, a Sabbath or a rest, um, I thought this would be a great opportunity to just hear yeah. from people who have two passions that are mine, which is um, the ministry and, mm. you know, what we are ultimately called here to do for kingdom work and the fact that you all have so graciously served our nation as well. Mm. So, um, but one thing that I, I just mentioned that I want to clarify is that each branch is called a different, yeah. is addressed by a different name. So yeah. um, why don't you all educate me just as uh, the rest of our listeners too? Yeah, so I, I think the main thing to recognize, uh, we were joking around, and, and we and we don't take it too seriously. Here, what I yeah. said is, Amen. we've got soldiers in the house. Right, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. so we don't take it real serious, but we do like to tell people that we're not soldiers, that's for the Army, uh, you know, and you've got sailors or seamen for the Navy, you've mm-hmm. got airmen for the Air Force, yeah. uh, who cares about the Coast Guard? Uh, just kidding, guys. Wow. And, um, <laughs> and then... got a wow. <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah. And then um, you've got Marines. We are Marines. So you are in the Army. You are in the Navy. You're in the Air Force or you are a Marine. So, you know, to all the Marines out there, we love you guys. Yeah, Ura, Semper Fi um, folks. And I would say that some of that pride uh, comes from the fact that many people don't know that uh, the the Marines are actually a a department of the Navy. And I would always joke and say we're the men's department of the Navy. But um, we're actually the smallest branch. So we're the we're the smallest branch and the least funded branch of mm-hmm. all uh, of of the military, and so I think there's always that pride of hey, you know what, we're going to be expected to accomplish the most, and we're going to be given the least, and then we're going to find a way to make that happen and do yeah. it with excellence, and uh, and, and great love, uniforms and great and great uniforms, great uniforms. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Phenomenal. You make a guy like me look attractive, and there's something special <laughs> about that uniform, you know. But uh, and if no, you I'm, look, all the other services are yeah. starting to bring out uniforms that look a lot like ours. It's like, Exactly. Okay, guys. Yeah, imagine right. that. But uh, no, there, there's obviously a lot of pride in being a Marine, and um, and I think it presents a cool opportunity for us to really even um, give some of the Marines listening a hard time about some of the stereotypes yeah. about having served, right? And so I think one of those stereotypes is a uh, is the entitled Marine. So I I served my country ten years ago, and I'm going to let you know about it because you owe me something, mm-hmm. right? Or you mm-hmm. owe me this, you owe me that, like a free burger at Chili's on Veterans Day. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, I, hey, I, I, I you know I I, I gave my life for this burger. Okay. I need two strips of bacon on this thing. But, um, for me, I would say it's, it's funny to me. Like it's a funny stereotype because there's a selfless act that is saying whatever this country would require from me for the next five years or four years, I'm willing to do that. And then a sense of entitlement that would come after that. It just, (laughs) it just makes me chuckle a little bit, you know, like I'm going to remind you what I'm going to remind you what I, what I did. And, uh, so if you're a veteran and you're listening, be selfless, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't jump on people. If they call you the wrong name, just kind of have a, have a little laugh and, and talk about it and, uh, and represent us well, you know, don't, don't live up to some of those stereotypes. Yeah, about you, don't, I mean, don't take yourself too seriously. There you go. You yeah. know, like mm-hmm. understand that that you're in a place where you did do something honorable. And so let that action speak for itself. You don't yeah. have to ask anything of them 
Right. You know what I mean? And so Absolutely. I think don't take it too seriously. Help educate people when they make a mistake, you know, and you don't have to browbeat people because they shot off fireworks on the 4th of July and, and you have to give a big diatribe on <laughs> diatribe. Is that the right word? I, I keep going. I don't know. Yeah. We'll finish your yeah. sentence. Somebody, somebody, yeah. Sound you don't right. have to do that on like PTSD. It sounds you know? really smart. Yeah. So. Sounds super smart. Right. You don't, that's not a stereotype of Marines. <laughs> um, but yeah, you don't have to give some big speech on PTSD. People understand, but let them celebrate and, and yeah. let everyone make a decision on how they're going to celebrate this great country as we're, and we're coming up on 4th of July. Yeah. That's this episode. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So celebrate. Yeah, celebrate well yeah. because people did give their life yes. so that you could live out yeah. this this life yeah. and make decisions to yeah. celebrate the way you want. Um, so honor them. That's what we do, and yeah. we'll talk more about that later. But yeah. but then celebrate and live mm-hmm. life well because that's what they would want you yeah. to do. And I know them personally. So right. yeah. So I don't know many pastors who are also Marines. I feel like that's a very unique combination. Mm-hmm. And, and MP, you and I have talked a little bit about this, especially with stereotypes, because you are our connections pastor and you're shaking hands and kissing babies in the lobby and, you know, the fun guy and um, always emceeing the events and being, I don't think many people, if they didn't know that you are a Marine would, I think that would just floor them that that is part of your background. So I want to hear from both of you. How did you get from the military into ministry? Mm. Yeah, what did it's, that transition it's so look like? funny that you say that because just recently uh, someone found out that I was a Marine and they literally said, oh, you don't seem like what I think of when I think right. of Marine. And uh, I was actually down at uh, one of our partners at Lord's Gym in Price Hill and uh-huh. someone was like, oh, you don't seem like a Marine. And I was like, I guess not. Like I don't have a flat top and I don't have my arms crossed, you know, and um, I'm not. That's never been said of me, by the way. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm the fun one <laughs> of the two of us, yeah, right? The pendulum yeah. swings yeah, both yeah, ends exactly, here. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I think I think that it's so interesting. People, because of the way that Marines are uh, characterized in Hollywood or in mm-hmm. media, everyone thinks that like we can't be silly and fun. And I mean, some of the most fun that you have, I mean, the most fun and like some of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm are during my time in the Marine Corps because you've got a lot of time where you're sitting around with all of these guys and gals and you, uh, there are a lot of inappropriate things said, but there's also a ton of like fun that we can, that we can have. And so, yeah, that stereotype is there. And if we can avoid the specifics of that fun on this podcast, that (laughs) would be great. Thank you so much. Yeah. He's, we're family family friendly here. Family friendly podcast. But (laughs) yeah. yeah, So when I was, uh, when I was young, I felt like I was called into ministry. Mm-hmm. And so I was on my the path of someone wanting to be a youth minister. That's what I thought. Like when you're, you know, 15 and you think like, oh, God's calling me to, to do something. You kind of look around the church and you go like, well, I, I can't sing. Um, and we didn't allow dancing. So uh, which is my, you know, which is my forte. But <laughs> we... Uh, you, you didn't know, know that, Ryan? No. Oh. Yeah, that's all me. Yeah. Man. So we... <laughs> I couldn't sing, so I wasn't going to be the worship guy. Uh, and being like, you know, in the 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 lead pastor role, that didn't seem like something that interested me. So like playing video games with high school kids sounded like fun, and I thought that's what youth youth pastors <laughs> did, and so that's where I went. Um, and then 9-11 happened yeah. while I was in my very first um, semester at college, and I left and went and joined the Marine Corps. And so um, really it was like God bringing me back in, uh, and I really wasn't sure what that looked like because mm-hmm. through my time in the Marine Corps, I had 
a chance to live the this separate life, this first time being away from my family and mm-hmm. not in a Christian environment. And so I made some really bad decisions during that time. But um, really the whole time God was preparing me for something and I really wasn't sure what that was. And so uh, got out of the Marine Corps and uh, kind of was not really flailing. I was just going to going to school and um, using the Montgomery Jai Bill, using some of the benefits that you get as a guy in the military. And I got hooked up with these guys that wanted to, guys and girls that wanted to go to Africa. And, and so I uh, went on a trip there and really felt a calling there. And so uh, Elisa, my wife and I, we went and spent time there. We raised money. We went there. And, and then um, through a whole lot of other circumstances, we felt like God was calling us home. Yeah. And, uh, and so in the tradition, in the faith tradition that I grew up in, like when you say you're going to be a missionary, you say you're going to be a missionary for mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And coming home from the mission field means that you're done in ministry. And that was my mindset. Mm. I don't even know if that's true, but that's the impression that I got. And so um, I thought, oh, it's time for me just to get a normal job. And so I started working for a home builder and uh, and just kind of doing my thing. And that's when God started to open this idea of church planting and community. There, was, there were things about the community that I saw living in Africa that I thought that the American church could really use. Mm. And so... Uh, then started having conversations, have known Andy for a long, long time and mm-hmm. really just was talking to him about some of my ideals. And, and he was saying, Hey, why don't we talk about this? You know, yeah. cause we were churchless at this point. And so yeah. um, he's like, why don't you come and look and see what we can talk about with uh, on a volunteer level. Yeah. I was like, Oh, this is kind of a way for me to give back and be in ministry. And here we are five and a half years later after planting the church and yeah. I'm full-time staff and, and really love everything that God has led me through this path. And again, I think that a lot of the lessons that I learned in the Marine Corps and the mm-hmm. times that I've had with those people has allowed me to be able to relate to people in the current role that I'm in and the gifting that God gave me. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. That's, man, that's, that's incredible testimony. I would say, you know, I, I too shared a, a calling to ministry in uh, my high school years mm-hmm. and got heavily involved uh, in, in, in ministry to the extent that I could. But uh, the, the more that I got involved, it was almost like there was just something more that I wanted. Everything was very known. Everything was very comfortable. And um, I didn't want to do I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with the classroom when I got mm-hmm. out of high school. And so uh, before I even graduated, I, you know, again, made that decision to join the Marines. And um, I would say I kind of had like a Jonah experience. So I fe- felt this call. This is something I'm supposed to do. And me joining the Marines was kind of me letting God know that he didn't really have control. Hey, by the way, I'm going to make my own decisions. I know you said to do this, so I'm going to go on the other end of the spectrum and I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Little did I know that I would really experience some of the greatest ministry opportunities that I've had even now as a you know 38 year old, the really, there were, there were times in the Marines, they were, um, you know, leading people to the Lord in a Humvee in the middle of a desert in Northern Africa. You know, it was, um, a, a, a lot of, uh, persecution that you would get because you weren't making the same decisions as the guys around you. You weren't going to the same places as they were. And I wasn't outward, super vocal about my faith. And so a lot of that adversity, uh, caught me a lot of persecution. But what was interesting is that you would have a lot of guys that would outwardly persecute you. And when no one else was around, they would come to you and say, and I just found out this happened to my wife and my kids back home. This, yeah. this happened and they're in tears and they know that you're a safe place to go, yeah. uh, a safe person to talk to. Yeah. 
-hmm. because you're not doing all the same things as everyone else. So I would say really in that adversity, uh, it gave my faith an opportunity to grow. And of course, outside of my support structure, kind of like UMP, there were times where I made bad decisions. You know, there were, there were times where I, I didn't have that support structure and that accountability around me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I get out of the Marines after having seen all these different places around the world and I come back and it's like, well, what do I do now? And it was at that time in 2006, 2007, um, that I met my now pastor in a gym and he invited me to the church and um, I've attended there for about 15 years and I've been on staff for uh, three Um, but he really he really took me in and just just kind of gave me attention he could see some things I think that when you have like a shepherd mentality about you you can maybe see that about other people and I didn't yield to the ministry you know right away I actually uh, you know said I want to be successful in the private sector and I tried to do that for about 10 years and I experienced some success and some failure. But I think what it really allowed me to do again is like, I kind of took the long way around where, you know, working in the private sector for 10 years, I got to meet the people that I would have an opportunity to minister to at some point. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really, um, a fun, I think we called you like an Enneagram seven, (laughs) like, I'm not the MC, you know, I'm typically not the guy that's up there like, you know, having fun, but I I, I am the guy that's like, Hey, let's, let's have a conversation if things aren't going well. And let's, you know, let's work on that Mm -hmm. together. And I think that really is a shepherd's heart or a father's heart. And the Marines really taught me what it meant to be a leader. You know, what, what does it mean to shepherd your people? Um, And even John 10 talks about the true shepherd is the one that stays with the sheep and goes when the wolf comes to attack, he protects his sheep or she protects the the sheep. And so for me, I would say I needed to learn that mentality and I Mm. had to find out that that capability was inside me. And it happened to be the United States Marine Corps that taught me uh, that, how to flesh that out, how to, how to have healthy confrontation, how to have confidence in yourself. And, um, the, the ministry has, has benefited from that. And so I would say that, uh, that was a part of God's plan for my life. And there seems to be a real brotherhood mm-hmm. in the military. Yeah. I mean, just a true, a literal, I have your back Yes, uh, mentality, which just plays in beautifully to mm-hmm. what the ministry is right. all about too. Yeah. Um, obviously these last 15 months, we have seen a very unfortunately divided nation yeah. over mm-hmm. a lot of issues. And, my question for you, since you both have unique perspective that many of us don't have, how do you keep your love for the country mm-hmm. and first and foremost, your love for God, yeah. the line between those two things from becoming blurred? Yeah. I think for me, you know, one of the hopes that we have, um, if, if I were to quote Paul when he was talking to, um, I can't remember if it's the Corinthians or, or who he was talking to, but basically he said that we're ambassadors of heaven, that our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. And so having guarded, guarded embassies around the world, I have this mm. kind of unique perspective of what it means to be an ambassador. If you even look up the definition of that word ambassador, it really means that you're a qualified diplomat that's sent to a foreign country to represent the best interest of that homeland that you're sent from. So for me, you know, having having been around the world, if I could pick one place to live in all of the world, it would be northern Kentucky. And ultimately, it would be in America. Right. I I love my state. I love my country um, and I love God. And I don't necessarily think that they have to be mutually uh, independent of one another. Mm -hmm. I think that how I love my country says a lot about me as a person. But ultimately, I know that the brokenness that I see here is not going to be the brokenness. uh, There won't be brokenness in my ultimate home. But for the time that I have here, 
I feel like I'm personally responsible to be an ambassador of heaven mm -hmm. so that do when I, when I do go home, when I do finally make it to where I'm ultimately going, that I'll be able to stand up tall and say, for the time that I was given, I, I did the best I could with what I had. And I think about those ambassadors that I served with, and you would see some with this mentality of, hey, I have a responsibility to represent the greatest country in the world, and I'm going to do that with humility, but I'm I'm also going to be proud of the place that, I, that I'm representing. Yeah. And I think we have a responsibility to do that here as believers. How are we representing heaven? How are we representing mm -hmm. our Lord and, and Savior? And uh, I, I think that more is expected of us because we have a free country. Whereas if I'm in Northern Africa, I don't know that as much is going to be expected because it's a, it, was, it was a Muslim country. You know, mm -hmm. it was a very oppressed country. Yes, spread the gospel. Yes, it's going to spread in adversity. But I think we have all the more responsibility because we have the freedoms that we do. Mm -hmm. A lot of times what we do is tend to back off of our personal responsibility because those freedoms are there. And I think that's really where we miss the mark sometimes as Christians in America is that we feel like less is expected, but I would say where much is given, much is expected. So right. what are we doing with that freedom that we have? Yes, love your country. Absolutely. But be involved in your local church and be involved mm -hmm. in what God is doing across the globe, not just right around the corner. Right. MP, add to that, and then I, I'm going to just share a thought. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think so. In the in when you go to Marine Corps boot camp, you have all of these like uh, little sayings that they want you to learn, and and you learn all of this knowledge, Marine Corps knowledge, and there there's even these courses that we take like spelling for Marines because we're not great at spelling and. Um, but <laughs> math for Marines. Yep. And, um, those stereotypes. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, it's like it's good G O O D. Um, yeah. so anyway, you, but one saying that they have is God, family, country, core. And mm. I think that they've got a really good, you know, kind of order there. The problem that I see and the, 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 I guess the thing, the, the way that I delineate that line is that. Um, if anything, if, if that gets out of order in any way, if anything goes in front of God, then, then we've got a problem because we have an idol. Mm -hmm. And so that could be America. America is an amazing place. And it, and I agree. I mean, I've seen a lot of different places around the world. This is where I would choose to live. Mm -hmm. Not even a question. Mm -hmm. And so you, but sometimes we can get caught in this act of like thinking how great we are and putting the ideals of America and the kingdom of America above the kingdom of God. Mm, that's yeah, good. And I guess that that's good. the big thing is like, we have to remember that if at any point the, uh, we have a, a conflict between the kingdom of America and the kingdom of God, we always must choose the kingdom of God. Yeah. I've said a lot this past year that our focus as the church specifically has to get past this, the, the cultural voice that we're hearing right now from the standpoint of what comes first is the kingdom voice mm -hmm. and that we have to choose kingdom over culture every day mm -hmm. because the kingdom stands eternally and culture changes. I mean, these days I feel like culture changes, you know, with every month, definitely with every passing year. Um, something that you said, Ryan, perspective is everything. Really and is. you've had the opportunity to be and live in multiple different countries. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that, and I haven't, I mean, I've lived in the United States my whole life and I don't really expect to live elsewhere, right. but you're right. When we do have these freedoms that we are born with, that we don't know anything different from, 
we, I can see how easily we can just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And then when you're exposed to other people groups in other nations and you see truly how yeah. they right. live and the lack of freedoms they have, yeah. I'm sure it changes the way you view America. Yeah, I mean, it certainly, certainly changes how I viewed America. It also changed how I view my faith because I do think that we can have a tendency sometimes to have a cultural faith, meaning yes. that, hey, it's That's popular good. for me to be a part of this or it's popular for me to be a part of that, but has has God truly gotten to those places of your heart where he has your whole heart? And when you're in Northern Africa and you meet a believer and you can tell that they're living in a persecuting type of a state, you see that they cling to their faith with a different passion. There is a different uh, shade of white in their knuckles as they cling to the Mm -hmm. faith that, that, that ultimately they have to lean on every day. And so for me, I would say that uh, that was a gift to me as a 19 year old, as a 20 year old Mm -hmm. to see that level of persecution and to really ask myself, am I a believer because it's convenient and it's a group of friends or am I a believer because ultimately I've given my heart to this and I've given my heart to what God has for me. And, um, uh, there was a, just a a quick story. I was in a uh, church history course and to speak of dedication, this, uh, the, the professor talked about these, uh, Irish priests in the, I think 15 or 1600s. And they wanted to be able to show the Lord that they were so committed to whatever his plan was for them. So forsake everything else. They built these round boats called coracles. And the only thing that you could fit inside of it was yourself and, and, uh, basically sitting like, I don't know what, the socially acceptable version of crisscross applesauce is, but yeah. like sitting, sitting, sitting that, that way. And they had basically a, a loaf of bread. So they would stand at the river and they would say, I'm going to place this boat in the river and wherever you wash it ashore, that is where you are calling me. And they would sit in this thing. No oars were allowed and they would wow. sit Indian style and wherever that washed ashore, that's where they were supposed to spread the gospel. And I think to me, it really spoke to me of, the level of dedication that we should have to our faith mm-hmm. over um, uh, you know, I- anything else, really. And again, that's coming from someone who has a deep love for our country, a deep love for mm-hmm. my state, a deep love for the lifestyle that this country affords us. Um, but there is a personal responsibility. And that's probably something you guys will tell me to stop saying, because I'll probably keep coming back to that no, personal responsibility yeah. that we have. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that... Um, in our nation, we have become accustomed to having so many idols that of comfort, idols of comfort that when even, I mean, when you're talking about government involvement in other nations, but even just poverty levels mm-hmm. of other nations, when you go and see these people who are so in love with Jesus because they have found freedom in him, they don't care about the things that they don't have, like we Americans do when we, you know, can't get our Starbucks Mm -hmm. one particular day because the Starbucks fund is out or whatever it might be. And, um, I think that that's, it's tragic that we've been given so much that we lose perspective of what other people, you know, go Mm -hmm. without from, from an earthly perspective and then an even greater one when it comes to eternal perspective. Yeah, I think cultural Christianity is so damaging to our cause and damning to the people that are looking at us because they say like, Oh, that's what a Christian is. And you're like, no, 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 that's that person. There's doing so much that it doesn't have anything to do with scripture. And you end up, you end up just giving the kingdom of God a bad name. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I totally agree that we've been, we have so many comforts here and maybe 
it's harder for us to actually see yeah. and how, how to cling to God because yeah. we're so good at relying on self. On everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we can't forget that God is not God of just America. He's God mm-hmm. of the world. Yeah. And sometimes we get a little tunnel vision mm-hmm. in thinking that, you know, everything that's happening in current events nationally and worldwide, we feel like they're only affecting Americans. Mm-hmm. And yet he is the God of the universe. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of wish my wife was here so I could thank her in person. But sometimes I have uh, this uh, unusual bent to go back to when I was in the Marines. And I think if we're going to weave in our military experience with our current convictions, mine would be that in the, in, in the Marines um, or in the military in general to some extent, many of those comforts are ripped from you, right? Mm-hmm. You go through this process, um, and I, I, I've always been fascinated in psychology, but psychologists would call it acculturation. And acculturation means that you know one culture, you are removed voluntarily or involuntarily from that culture, and you're placed in another culture to learn that one, to assimilate into that. Mm-hmm. So when you come out of our uh, normal standard, you know, uh, everyday American culture and you go into the culture of the Marine Corps, it's not comfort at the center of it all. You know, so if you think about that old hymn, Jesus at the center Mm -hmm. of it all, it's how we're supposed to live. But as Americans, sometimes it can be comfort at the center of it all. Um, so you, you, you're that, that comfort is removed from you. So that comfort is removed and you have to go to this place where you're almost like, I guess you could say you have to become a warrior. You know, you have to become this person that isn't reliant on comfort in order to accomplish your, your mission. It becomes the mission at the center and your mm-hmm. comfort is this other thing that's over here that maybe sometime uh, an hour a day you get something, some semblance of comfort. And I believe that as, uh, as Christians, we're called to put our mission in front of our comfort level. Yeah. And sometimes, though we may not sing the song with our hands raised in church, we live a life that says comfort at the center of it all. Let everything kind of bow you know, to, to that. When really, we don't find our truest potential in comfort. We, we don't. We find our true potential when we are forced to endure and then we persevere through that endurance. And then we discover this thing called real joy. And I don't know that you can experience that real joy when comfort is at the center of it all because you're just kind of feeding it something to keep that hunger pain away. But when you do really lean into that process, you lean into uh, things that require faith, you then can experience that pure joy. And I would just encourage anybody listening to take some time later on today, this week, whatever, and read the book of James. Mm-hmm. You know, read the book of James and and, and understand what it means Um to, to persevere through trials and then what happens at the end of that. Yeah, that's really good. I'm always looking forward at the next generation and I know all of us have kids represented mm-hmm. in this room. Um, I learned so much from my grandparents. From, I mean, I would just remember talking to my grandfather and looking at, he had some of those uh, display cases where they were like three dimensional and he had medals that my mom had put together and he had a folded flag in one of them. And I just remember learning and having so much pride for, and, and gratefulness that I was fortunate enough. I am fortunate enough to mm-hmm. have been born into this country. And you both referenced nine 11. I don't know if that was pivotal in your decision to go into the military, or if it was just kind of coincidental timing wise, but I know that we just talked about, for us, we all remember where we were on 9-11. And yet, my kids so far, and I'm thankful for this, but so far, they haven't been faced with any national attack, tragedy, something. I remember the sports world after that, Mm -hmm. where like 
everyone had pulled together because there was, it, there was an attack on us, right. us as a nation. And I remember feeling like, wow, we are like, we are united. We are united because this tragedy is what has truly brought us together. And, um, do you remember that? Do you remember seeing like the football games and everything where everyone would have a flag in their yeah. hand? And I mean, there was just this true love for this country because it was, it was time to, to grow together. And yet again, I'm glad our kids haven't faced that, but how do we teach them to be appreciative and so grateful for where we are when they just haven't experienced that kind of situation? Yeah, so it's actually really interesting. George Washington has this awesome quote. He says, a primary object should be the education of our youth in the science of government. In a republic, what species of knowledge can be equally important and what duty more pressing than communicating it to those who are to be the future guardians of the liberties of this country? And so I think he was onto something very early, obviously, in our country's history. <laughs> he was pretty the early. Earliest. <laughs> and... Um, and just the idea that when you don't know about the way, when you don't understand that these freedoms can be taken away and why they're important, it's much easier for them to be taken away. There's an, a, a lot of our forefathers had quotes like mm-hmm. that yeah. um, with regard to like, you know, being led by the hand blindly to, to giving away your own rights and things like that. Um, and so for, I know for like, for our family, one thing that we do is I had the honor of being, on the honor guard for um, the this unit called uh, 2nd Battalion, 24th Marines while I was in. It's a reserve unit, but so these guys were college students and police officers and firefighters who, when the country went to war, decided to give up their jobs because they were called to and go and fight, and many, many of them died, and uh, I had the honor of helping take them to their final resting place. And mm. something that... Um, we do as a family is on Memorial Day and Veterans Day and things like that. I'll just bring up their name or their story mm. and let my kids remember who they were. And yeah. so we have this moment of reflection as a family. And then I remind them like, hey, they died for our freedoms and also so that we can live a celebratory life in a free country. And so let's go and like have a really fun day in their honor, remembering them and their mm-hmm. families in prayer and asking God to comfort them on these harder days. But I think not allowing people to forget the sacrifice is something yeah. that's super yeah. important to teaching our kids what that means. Yeah. And one of my favorite things is when we acknowledge that something is important and then we go back and we find that it's in the Bible, right? That's yeah. kind of a cool thing. Yes. So when I think about your question, your comment, which I love, I sincerely appreciate that, is uh, I think about Joshua, you know, God parted the the Jordan for, for them to go across. And not only did they cross, he said, now send someone from every tribe to go back into the river and get a river stone mm-hmm. from the deepest part of the Jordan and then build a monument on this side. And then everywhere you go, take that monument with you. And that's a weighty thing. It's not a convenient thing to carry a monument of 12 stones with you everywhere you go. But how do your children, how were their children, children know that you walked across a Jordan in a miraculous Mm -hmm. way only because God showed up. And I think that although we may not have something that's quite that dramatic, I do think it's important that they understand the struggles that got them to where they are now. So that when you're sitting talking about how do I become a meteorologist when I grow up, you're not thinking about 
what do I have to do to get out of this coal mine in a third world country? You know, you're, right. you're talking about how do you expand and how do you grow intellectually rather than how do I just, you know, sur- survive. survive. Right. And so uh, we do something similar at my house on Veterans Day and Memorial Day where uh, I share the names of some of my uh, brothers and sisters mm-hmm. who, uh, who, who passed. But I, I typically will tell the story of a time when um, I was guarding the embassy in, in Vienna, Austria. And of course, in Vienna, uh, just outside of Vienna, there uh, there was a concentration camp. And the year that I was there, it happened to be the 59th year of its liberation. So I was asked and another Marine was asked to go and represent the United States in this liberation ceremony. So I'll never forget, we get our dress blues uh, pressed out, looking good. We go in our armored suburban, we show up and there's thousands of people there. And we step out of the suburban and there was a gentleman who was, he was an elderly gentleman. I'm not, I'm not sure how old he was, but it was a gravel parking lot and he was in a wheelchair and he saw us getting out and he had kind of a crowd of people around him and he pushed his wheelchair as hard as he could. I mean, he, I thought he was going to break his arms. He was wheeling so hard. So he finally catches up to us and we stop and just said, sir, how can we help you out? And in broken English, he tells us that he met his wife in that concentration camp and that concentration camp was liberated by uh, U.S. service members. And he shook violently to get out of the chair. One of his grandchildren picked him up out of the chair and he hugged us and he thanked us. And the wife just touched our arm and, and just whatever way she could simulate that she was trying to say thank you, that's what she was doing. And he told us, look at these children, look at these grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And essentially what he was saying is because of the bravery of the people who have gone before you, there are now generations that can exist because of that. And I think that we have a responsibility to let our kids know that they have a responsibility in what the future holds. When, when it was my time to carry the torch, this is what I did. And I'm not doing that to put it in your face. What I'm saying is that what are you going to do with it? And uh, I, I'm not a fan of the, uh, of the Marines, the, uh, the soldiers, the sailors, the airmen who will say, oh, my kids are going to serve. They're mm-hmm. absolutely going to serve. I'm glad that I willingly chose something yeah. because I was put in situations where if I was forced to be there, I don't know that I would have that I would have made it. And that's really the beauty of our of our country is that it is a volunteer military force. So these are people that would say whatever is required of me for this amount of time. You, you, you have it at, at this point. So I do think that we have that responsibility to pass on what has been done to secure the life that we now have. Yeah, I love that. And that's a very personal thing. Yeah. You know, when we talk about the culture, the climate, we can kind of sit and talk for a long time and that's important. But I think what we have to do is ultimately come back to in the same way our faith is, what are we doing to, to live out our faith? What are we doing yeah. to practice our faith? And then ultimately as Americans, what am I doing personally to make my community a better place? And what am I doing to uphold those standards and core values that I believe represent our country? Wow. That is so good. Such, such good wisdom. Did you want to add anything to that? I didn't know if if you were uh, looking up quote or anything like that. Um, I, I am constantly honored by hearing these kinds of stories and, um, you know, listening to what you all are doing within your own families and things like that to continue to advance the kingdom, especially, um, but to keep history present as well. So if you were, if you were given the opportunity to make one requirement for every high school social studies class, I didn't, I didn't give you guys this one, a heads up on this one. Um, 
What do you think it would be? Can it be unrealistic? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I mean, I've said this before, but I think uh, it would be excellent if every junior or senior in high school could go to a third world country Mm -hmm. and spend time there. Not for the sake of sympathy, not to not to just go there and walk along a gated path and say, oh, I, I feel bad. I, I want them to have an understanding of perspective to, mm-hmm. to see what it's like to live elsewhere and then come back and say, one, how can I make my surroundings a better place? But what can I do for them to make their surroundings oh, a better place, too? And I think that that really is a truly American uh, thing that we're, we're, we're missing is yeah. that opportunity for them to see something and then let that sink in. Let that let as a 19 year old to see human trafficking happen that that has not left me and and it ultimately led me to adopt our beautiful daughter that we have uh not because she was being trafficked but because as a 19 year old I saw that and I made a commitment to myself and I looked up at the stars that night and I said God if I ever have the opportunity I will care for orphans Mm. I, I, I I will care for orphans and God is so faithful to to redeem those promises. But I wouldn't have had that opportunity, that moment, if it wasn't for the chance to see somewhere else besides my backyard. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think for me it would be, uh, which I know some, I don't know that they still do this in schools, but they used to make, kid, not make, but used to have the opportunity to go on a field trip to D.C. Mm. Um, and I think... Some schools still do. Yeah, I think going, uh, so mine would be go to Arlington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And walk you know among the the tombstones because it is like so awe-inspiring mm-hmm. to see how many people sacrifice their lives yeah. for what we have and like mm-hmm. you know again I think something that's really important for this younger generation to understand and to know and something that I want my kids to do is to be able to think critically about things and understand that America is not perfect so it's not an idea of American exceptionalism but that you shouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Like um, there are 44 million as of, uh, you know, like whatever, as of 2015 or 2018, maybe there are 44 million foreign born people living in the U S there. Are, we allow a million people to come as legal immigrants every year. Um, there is a waiting list of over 4 million people waiting to come here legally. And people don't stand in line for nothing. There's something about this place that is good. And yes, we have our problems and we need to be addressing those. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit too, what our responsibility is in addressing those things. But there's something about this place that's special Mm -hmm. and something that um, we need to make sure that we're remembering the good things and we're remembering the great sacrifices that were made to have this thing happening the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite uh, saying that I heard one time is that oftentimes we forget that America is an experiment. Mm. You know, we're 245 years old mm-hmm. this year, which is which is great. I love it. But we forget that there's not been a place like America right. prior to this. Right. So I, I would say to every social studies student, to every high school student, especially to every college student, what are you doing to keep this experiment mm-hmm. going? Because mm. nothing is guaranteeing that it's going to be here in a few years or in a few months. Right. Let's keep this experiment going. Let's see what happens. Right. So you teed that up for our, kind of our final question. What is our responsibility then as citizens of this great country and most importantly, citizens of heaven? Mm. What's our responsibility? Yeah, to me, I think it's absolutely a, 
a micro perspective and a macro perspective. So the micro would be, what am I doing to make my neighborhood a better place? What am I doing to make my community a better place? And I know that can be a vague statement, but what I mean by that is what strengths has God given you that he can help redeem the stories of those around you? We serve a redemptive God. We serve a God who uh, makes uh, beautiful things out of of broken things. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, again, that that's inherently only Christian and not American, because I do think that there are opportunities that we have as Americans to help people redeem their story. So help people redeem their story, help people see the opportunities that they have. Certainly don't uh, put people in a box or confine them or limit what they can do. I would say be a uh, a champion of people around you and, and, and make their world a better place. And then ultimately, you know, for the kingdom, if I'm being kingdom minded, um, one of my kind of pet peeves, and maybe it's, it's controversial to say, but sometimes our comforts will be jeopardized and we say, that's it. The end is near that this is the beginning of the end times because of this inconvenience that I have. But if you were to step out and have a macro perspective, what would it be like if, your comfort inconvenience is the pinnacle of someone else's life. Like I wish that my situation exactly. was that. Yeah. And so I would say from a macro perspective, man, are you interceding for missionaries overseas? And I mm-hmm. say that with some conviction in my voice because I, I, I want to stand with my brothers and sisters, intercede for them and also set an example and then do whatever I can do to make their lives and make their mission more clear, make their lives um, easier to, to some extent. But I do think that, again, where much is given, that much is required, if you are in a position where you are living over your means and you're not doing what you can to help others, I, I just think that's that's a miss. That's more of a micro thing. Let me look at uh, nothing further than my kitchen table as I work out my budget and say, how do I let my finances reflect this uh, core value that I have of being generous, of giving other people an opportunity? Um, and all that ties back into, again, that, that personal responsibility. It's so fun to sit around a table and talk about all the things that are wrong, to talk about all the areas where we've missed the mark and we can never go back. But to me, I would say, personal responsibility. Do yeah. what you can. Vote your convictions, of course. Celebrate that right uh, that, that, that you have. And um, certainly don't come up with some lame excuse why you're not exercising, you know, that, that, that right. Um, take, take, what, take what we have, even though it might be broken. Let God redeem it. Yeah. Have a micro perspective and a macro perspective. Love it. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I'm breaking out all the classics today, but Abe Lincoln said yep, yep. Uh, the like best Abe. way to predict the future is to create it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, so so what does that mean for an American and a Christian? I think that the first thing is that we have to get involved in this, this republic that we have that is an experiment, and we have to be uh, involved in a way that's God-honoring, though. Get involved in the right way. And so what does that mean? That means, like, get away from just what the media and the and social media and, and all of these people are telling you about the other, right? Like this idea of the other side, the other person. And sit across the table from people like if you are just speaking into an echo chamber and everyone that you're sitting around a table with believes just like you, mm. you're going to have some major problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I think that's really important. And then another thing uh, I think from a church perspective in America is that we've like abdicated our responsibility as the American church to the government. Right. And so like uh, you think of like foster care and adoption, like the church should be number one. Mm-hmm. in going out and caring for orphans. It's pretty mm-hmm. clear how important mm-hmm. children are to Jesus, you yeah. know, yeah. like, and, uh, 
And so it should be like a major point. Widows and orphans should be a major point for the church and people should be looking to us. But we've kind of said like, you know, eh, you guys can take that. The government can take that. And we've done the same thing with like our youth, you know, like there are these parachurch organizations that are not a part of the local church Mm -hmm. that I thank God for them because Mm -hmm. the church uh, has failed in these areas. There's been a gap. There's been a gap, but Mm -hmm. it's time for the church, us to step up and get Mm -hmm. involved and to raise kids that love God and love the freedoms that they have in this country. And that's, what's going to change. Cause like we talked about before, you can't, you can't legislate morality. Yeah. It, it just never works. And I right. love that Ryan said that before we started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, and that, I think what I was getting at is that you can't legislate a relationship, right? You can't legislate heart change. Yeah. And so when I think about a lot of the issues that have come up or surface, we could say not come up, but have surfaced as a problem. There's so much of that has to do with the heart. Mm-hmm. And um, I love our senior pastor or my senior pastor, um, Marcus Meekham says, and he says, that, you know, if we're a church organization looking to the world for answers, it's always going to be broken. So, so as 100%. the church, be the leader, you know, be, be the leader so that they would look to us and say, well, the church has figured it out. And yeah. so, you know, of course, we're all trying to figure a, a lot of that out. But if you're looking to the government to legislate what a relationship with God would look like or legislate only this or legislate only that that has to do with heart change, it's simply not going to happen. Nope. I hate, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of being the bearer of bad news, but I wouldn't be a shepherd and I wouldn't love you if I said that, oh, you know what, the government's going to fix it. Yeah. And, and to give some perspective to kind of world travel, there are European countries where if you profess a certain faith, then you actually tithe to the government and the government decides what churches get those resources. And imagine what our government would do with mm-hmm. the resources that we do four or five times, 10, 10 times the amount with, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the church can just do some incredible things with resources. Yeah. The, the government never ceases to amaze me how little they accomplish with as much resources as they have. Again, not hating, just, just being honest, but um, yeah, you certainly can't legislate relationship and you can't legislate a heart change. And we have a God that can miraculously multiply. Amen. That's so mm-hmm. true. Yeah. So true. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation, one that I've been looking forward to having for a while. So thank you for your wisdom, for your transparency, um, for all of the things that you've offered today. There are a couple of questions Mm. that I ask at the end of my podcast to each one of our guests. The first one is this podcast was built kind of birthed out of this idea that God has given us so many promises in his word and we can find great purpose in those if we just look for them. So I'm curious for each of you, what has been a verse or maybe a passage that has been purposeful for you? Goodness. I mean, so, so many, but uh, the one that I would bring up is actually in, you know, the, the book of James and uh, I, I love what it, what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and needing nothing. There's something so special to me about that verse because I am not complete yet. I'm not Mm -hmm. perfect yet. And so my journey gets to continue. And every day that I get to read that verse, like I, I get a reminder that my journey is not yet over. So good. Yeah, so I, I, I have two, if that's okay. That's okay. The first one, I, for all of the Bible scholars out there listening, you don't need to send us an email and say, like, oh, that's a promise for Israel. I get it. But <laughs> I love in Jeremiah 29 where uh, the prophet of God is speaking to the exiles of Israel. 
and he and he gives them this amazing advice that I think that we as Christians can take the principles of and and apply to how we live our lives here. Uh, and, and he basically tells them this. I'm not going to read it to you. You can go and, and read Jeremiah 29. But he says, build houses and have families. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, don't buy into the lies of the cultural prophets or diviners that are that are in the culture around you. Do your best for and pray for the city or country I have you in because its welfare is tied directly to yours. And this isn't your final place. So we have a hope that's beyond this place. And I think Amen. that that promise of a future hope is what yeah. really gets uh, gets me so excited about that we can live a life that no matter, we do have comforts here, but no matter the as they're taken away or as things get hard, we have a, a hope that one day God's going to come and get us and, and take us to our our forever home. And that's yeah. pretty cool. And then the second is just in John uh, 13, uh, right after Judas gets up and leaves the table, Jesus has this great time or this great thing where he says, by this, all people will know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. And so while it's not a promise, I do think it's mm-hmm. something that is so true that I hope that people can see that we love the way that we love each other is going to make people want to know what it is that's different about us. And that's going to turn around this cultural Christianity that we have yeah. here in America. So those are, I love it. I love it. So good. So normally I ask what's just something that you love and it can be anything and everything. And I know I told you that, but I actually want to know what do you love about independence day? Mm. I love, um, uh, I, I, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but I would encourage you to read the story about how the uh, national anthem was written and, and how that ties into the, the, the fireworks. And then I would just challenge you to think, uh, does this change the way that I, that I feel about the national anthem? And I know that that's not necessarily July 4th itself, yeah. but what I love at the very end is it's, does that banner still wave? And I love that he ends that anthem, that war cry, with a challenge. Does it still wave? Mm-hmm. Does it still wave? And as you understand the story in the War of 1812, when it was written, I do think that you'll have a sense of challenge of, am I doing my part to make sure that that thing is still waving? Yeah, I actually, I was going to bring up the flag also. I love I did just, first. <laughs> I just love seeing all of the flags. I and, too. and I think something, it's actually really interesting. I just, this has just recently started really ticking me off, but all of these different flags that people are using, like I get it. I, mm-hmm. And I don't want to mention any individual because I don't want to bring it up, but like everything that's in our American flag has a purpose. And so like when you, when you, for a designer, your shirt cut off two stripes, like there are 13 stripes for a reason and they're, yeah. they're red, white, and blue yeah. for a reason. Right. All of it has symbolism. All of it has meaning. And so I just love seeing the red, white, and blue. And if you have other flags, that's great. Go and peel them off your trucks. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, do what you want. It's, he's, free, he's country. Really it's free country. I'm looking it's at his face country. and I'm saying he's not kidding. <laughs> but no, seriously, like I just love seeing that. And I do think, and, and here's the thing. If that, if that flag, if that symbol uh, if you can think of something negative about it or about our country, then like like Honest Abe says, go and change it and make yeah. the yeah. future of yeah. this country. You don't need to change the flag. Change the things about this country that you don't like and and, yeah. and use it. Use your personal responsibility right. to do that. 
I've tried so hard to hide my history nerd so much throughout this, and I feel like he's kind of creaked the door open with all the quotes. <laughs> yeah. And one of the quotes for me that's been very influential is from Thomas Jefferson, and he said, the tree of liberty must at times be watered by the blood of tyrants and patriots. And I think that when we talk about the colors of the flag or, or why that's important, and it's red for a reason, because there were some people who may have been considered tyrants or been considered patriots, depending upon how you look at it, and they are a part of our history. And again, he says at times. So that's kind of an ongoing mm -hmm. thing. And we were kind of a part of a brotherhood that said, if that's what's required, that's what we'll give. So I think that's why it's important as well. I love that I invite two guests on and you send us with homework assignments. So mm -hmm. that's yeah. good. It's I'm important. Gonna, Personal I'm gonna responsibility. Make, I'm going to make my kids do that. I'm going to make them listen. Yeah. And I'm going to make them do the research to find out the meaning of the flag and the meaning of the national anthem. Yeah. Um, and lastly, if you could have any prayer any prayer at all answered, what would it be? For me, that prayer would be that, uh, that this experiment would last another generation mm -hmm. and that they would have that same conviction. I have four children, three boys and a, a beautiful baby girl, and I would love for them to have the opportunity to carry that torch in the same way that we've had the opportunity to carry that torch. Maybe it's in the private sector, maybe it's in the ministry, maybe it's in the military, regardless I, I sincerely pray and I hope that this experiment lasts another generation so they can have an opportunity to do the things you just read about in the book of Jeremiah, build houses, have families, go try things, fail, succeed, do all those things in freedom uh, with liberty. Yeah, for me, it is all about the unity of the Big C Church. I think God, like we've been talking about all the great things that the church has been able to do, even just our church, you know, mm -hmm. Um, 500 ish people have been able to accomplish such great things in a year of turmoil. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, we're closing in on 50,000 meals. We're like all of these really great things that God has allowed us to be able to do. And I think that as we start to see, and I am starting to see it more and more, a unification of the church and mm -hmm. not the competition between churches. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where, like, when I called Ryan, so first of all, I, real quick, funny story is that when I called Ryan, to say like, hey, actually, I think I emailed just to say like, hey, you're the group's guy at a bigger church. I'd love for you to coach me. Uh, I don't think we even brought up that that he coaches me mm -hmm. in the area of groups and um, ministry. And so, and we were kind of like checking each other out before our first coffee meeting and realized like that we're both Marines and we're like, okay, this is going to be cool. But <laughs> yeah. something that really cool that happened was in our very first meeting, he doesn't know me and he comes with all this stuff and just says like, hey, you can have this. And by the way, our pastor who uh, heard, you know, I told him what my plan was for today, that I was coming to meet you, and he knows of you guys, and he said, whatever you need, mm. we want to help, we want to provide, and we want to help you guys. And so I think that as we start to see, uh, and we start to realize that Cincinnati has 2.3 some odd million people, mm -hmm. uh, and that our church building can't handle that, um, and, and neither can theirs, mm -hmm. that we have to come together as a, as a body of believers, and we yes. have to make the big things, the big things, and the little things, we have to get rid of those and say, let's come together and win this city yeah. for the glory of God and for the kingdom of heaven. That's good, MP. Yeah, let it be. Yeah. Well, you guys, thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you. Thank Becky. you for coming in the midst of summer to just be a part of this conversation. You are the best of the best, and I'm so appreciative for how you have served our great country, and most importantly, that your calling in life has been to serve the kingdom. 
So that's a real honor um, for both of you. And I'm humbled to be sitting across from you. And I hope you have just the best weekend celebrating our independence here in this nation and our freedom in Christ. So thanks for being part of Let It Be Podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Happy uh, Independence Day, everybody. Happy Independence Day. Thank you, Becky. Love your program. You've got a forever fan. Thank you. I told you this was going to be a great conversation with MP and Ryan. I hope you feel encouraged after hearing them, maybe a little hopeful and a little more excited about the weekend that we are heading into. There are so many verses in scripture that talk about freedom in Christ, and I wanted to share a couple of them with you. The first one is Galatians 5.13, and it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I hope each one of you enjoys everything about this weekend. May you enjoy the freedom that we are so privileged to experience here in this nation. And most importantly, may you recognize and remember your freedom in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Have a great weekend. Stay up to date with me on social media at Becky Ziegenfuss for any extra content that might be coming out this summer. And as always, thanks for being part of the Let It Be podcast.